Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, free agency came and went with a bit of a whimper in Brooklyn. Yes, they did re-sign Joe Harris, as they promised. But, you know, I was kind of expecting more. I think many of you were, too. Now, I'm recording this on Tuesday, which happens to be my birthday. So, in case I miss any big Nets news that falls through this recording to posting window, sorry about that. But, looking at things now, I don't see Sean Marks gifting me James Harden before I get my cake today. Uh, Yes, his stretch four present of Jeff Green was much appreciated by me, but kind of feels like a letdown after the buildup to this offseason. You know, who knows, maybe Marks has a plan C in the works. In any event, on this show, I'll be talking about what the Nets do have and where they can go from here, and to help me with that, I'll be talking to a new guest on the podcast, someone I call the king of the NBA trade machine, Mr. Billy Reinhardt of NetsDaily.com will be making his City Game podcast debut. So sit back and relax. Should be a pretty good one today. And once again, thank you all for bearing with me as we get these episodes back on Apple Podcasts. Hoping it shouldn't be too long now. And thank you for listening on whatever platform you're using. Be it Radio.com, Stitcher, or some other one that I'm not aware of. Because folks, I'm old. Anyway, here we have the Nets sitting with 14 players on their roster with second-round pick Reggie Perry and restricted free agent Chris Chioza still unsigned. They got Jeremiah Martin on a two-way deal and a couple of guys signed to training camp deals. Again, you know, they're loaded at guard. Kyrie Irving, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Landry Shamet, Bruce Brown, 
can even throw Harris in there with big lineups. Up front, though, not so deep. Even, you know, factoring in the green edition. Still, overall, it's not too shabby. Here's how I see it. They replaced Wilson Chandler with green. Hopefully a nice upgrade there. You got... Brown and Shemet instead of Zan and Musa and the roster spot that used to belong to Theo Pinson. Call it Tyler Johnson for this purpose. So, yeah, you're talking about two guys from last year's team. Probably wouldn't contribute much of anything to this one. And you turn them into a 40% three-point shooter and a needed energy bunny on defense. So I gotta say well done by Marks there. Oh, did I forget to mention that Kevin Durant is supposed to be on the court in a Brooklyn Nets uniform next month? Yeah, that's kind of a big deal, don't you think? But folks, as things stand now, understand this. If Marx really holds firm on not, quote, mortgaging the future, as he put it in his press conference, this whole experiment is riding on where KD is at. How much athleticism has he recovered? Who can he guard? And how long will we have to wait before we can get definitive answers to these questions? Look, no one should dispute where Durant ranked before his Achilles injury. Definitely one of the top three players in the game, no doubt. The man hasn't played a basketball game since June of 2019. I know everyone who's watched him play pickup is saying, oh, he looks great. Let's take that with a grain of salt, please. What are they going to say? Man, what's happened to him? He's lost it. No, a few players in the league disrespect their fellow members like that, especially not someone like KD. So the point is that unless the Nets aren't done with their configuring, they're going to need Durant to get a little uncomfortable out of the gate. He may fancy himself as a three. Here, he's got to be strictly a four, maybe sometimes even a five. Who else in this starting five is guarding Giannis, for instance, when they play Milwaukee? Or either LeBron or Anthony Davis in the NBA Finals? Just want to try that out for size, folks. Nets in the NBA Finals has a nice ring to it. Anyway, we really don't know whether KD will be close to the KD of old or if he'll be a version of Dirk Nowitzki. Still a great player, but more limited athletically. So that's why I was hoping that Marks for a change would bulk up this offseason. You know, stretch fours and big wings. Unfortunately, guys like Serge Ibaka, the Morris Twins, Aaron Baines, they all found better deals elsewhere. Because, you know, all the Nets have to offer is the taxpayer mid-level exception. I kept tweeting that if Fabaka really took that over the chance to make nearly twice as much per year, there would have been an Andre Karolinko-type investigation. The bigger problem now is what happens if the Nets do execute a blockbuster trade of some sort, you know, give up five guys to get two, including that so-called third star. Now, let's say Marks convinces Houston to do a Harden deal and he has to give up Lavert, Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Torian Prince, Royans Karutz, and a boatload of picks. Who's left out there to fill all those empty roster spots, especially when all you have is that MLE and minimum deals? You get the bubble guys. Tyler Johnson, Jamal Crawford, Michael Beasley, Justin Anderson, etc. Look, I think it would have been much easier to sell an Ibaka on Brooklyn, for instance, had that third star already been in the bag? But now, you know, it's too late. So that's why I'm thinking Marks goes into training camp with the core as is. Like I said, it's not a bad roster. Certainly miles above the dreck from what we saw just a couple of years ago. The question is, how far can this group go with this forward contingent? 
Do any of you really trust Prince, Karutz, or TLC in an Eastern Conference playoff series against the Bucks or Sixers, who can play both big and small? You know, those teams, and you could throw the Celtics, Raptors, and Heat in here as well. These teams are all really tough mentally and physically. I don't know, it, it could just be me. I, I just worry that this team is, you know, I don't know if it's the right word, but are they kind of too soft? I mean, from the weak perimeter defense all the way to Allen getting bullied underneath, I feel like Marks might have missed out on better fitting targets. But, you know, there's still time to rectify things. Many experts think Marx has something up his sleeve. I have no idea what, but to help me get through all the options, let me now bring in my special guest for the week. And here's my conversation with Billy Reinhardt of NetsDaily.com. Folks, uh, my special guest this week is one of the many fine young writers in the NetsDaily.com stable. Been there for three years. I call him the king of the NBA trade machine, and He's a must-follow on Twitter for any Nets fan. Welcome, Billy Reinhardt of to the to the City Game Podcast. Thanks, Steve, for having me. All right, so Billy, I'm too old to go through all your tweets that included plausible trade proposals for the Nets, but I'm guessing it's in the hundreds. So, out of the, all the ones you looked into, is there one that stood out as the most realistic? You know, then and now. Well, there were plenty of realistic uh, trades throughout that process. I think when you look at the Nets roster now, um, they pretty much kept basically what they had. They, in, they improved certain aspects of it. Like they went from Janan Musa to a player that can actually contribute in Landry Shamit. But same types of players. They went from Garrett Temple to Bruce Brown, who should be an upgrade as a, as a combo guard in the backcourt that can play some defense, hit a perimeter shot. Um, Jeff Green's going to be an upgrade on Wilson Chandler. So they slightly tweaked the roster. When you look at it right now, I think they still lack a wing defender. So when you look at different trade ideas, I mean, the guy all Nets fans continue to bring up is Aaron Gordon. I personally don't think that's going to happen based on what we heard about Gordon's ask price from the Orlando Magic. They wanted even more than Houston got for Robert Covington, who got two first-round picks. So I just can't see the Nets meeting that price in addition to including a Spencer Dinwiddie or I don't think Torian Prince they can get him for. So um, I, I think that that's potentially something that they won't be able to do. But for the Nets right now and everything they've done this offseason, for me personally, it looks like they're in a holding pattern for James Harden. And um, I think potentially they would like to get someone like a P.J. Tucker back to fill that wing defender role. Well, you know, you mentioned that you seem satisfied. But when I look at your tweets, I kind of sense some disappointment that Marks wasn't able to secure the services of certain complementary pieces. You know, you're obviously aware of the net salary cap limitations, but who was the most disappointing to you among the free agents who chose other teams? You know, keeping in mind that a guy like Serge Ibaka was always highly unlikely to take a nearly 50% haircut, you know, when the Clippers are giving him an equally good chance to chase a ring. So who else did you, were you disappointed that they didn't look into? Yeah, to be clear, it's not anything against Sean Marks, the Nets front office. I think they did the best of what they could do, um, given the, the salary restraints they have, as you mentioned. Most contenders had the full mid-level exception, and the Nets only had the mini-mid-level exception at their disposal. That's, a, that's about a 4 to $5 million decrease in annual salary for, for a free agent to take on. So um, that's a tough ask. As you mentioned, Serge Ibaka, Ibaka was um, a key target, but it was always seemed like an uphill battle given the Nets – uh, what they could offer in terms of salary. So um, it wasn't likely, but the Nets put themselves in that conversation, being an organization where they are, 
building the organization the way Sean Marks has, and then Kevin Durant's connection obviously played a huge part. Um, a few different things kind of moved things out of the direction of the Nets, though. I think when Jerry, Jeremy Grant went to Detroit, that kind of set off a domino effect in terms of where Denver had to respond, and they signed away Jermichael Green from the Clippers. So once they signed Jermichael Green, then they also got Paul Millsap. The Clippers were like, okay, we got to replace Jermichael Green. And at that point, especially after losing Montrezl Harrell to the Lakers, they had to get a big man. And then their full mid-level came into play for Serge Ibaka. I wonder what would have happened had the Clippers not played a part for Serge Ibaka and Ibaka was between the Nets mini mid-level and the Raptors big likely one-year offer. So um, Serge Ibaka was obviously the most disappointing because it felt like he was the closest to being a net. Um, But I I don't blame the Nets front office at all. I just almost wish if they knew earlier about Serge Ibaka, they would have had the opportunity to use that mini mid-level on players who took something of that level of salary or less, like a Wesley Matthews or an Avery Bradley. Well, you mentioned knowing what you know now. I was just talking before about, you know, what happens now if, you know, they execute a third star type trade where they have to give up five to get two. Who's out there that can fill those other three roster slots? Yeah, that's the problem now. It's so deep into free agency that the market's pretty much dried up. Um, even some guys that were not really top options, but they had high upside potentially, like a DeMarcus Cousins, he's now even off the market. So that's going to be something that the Nets are going to have to balance and, and wrestle with in, in uh, terms of looking to go for a James Harden or even a Bradley Beal trade at some point. Um, I, I do think eventually, though, you, you want to build up the top of that roster enough and at least the rotation part where you're not going to be as worried about slots 10 through 15 on the roster. I think those are replaceable through the buyout market, um, through other cheap finds that Sean Marks has proven adept at finding. Um, so I think if you could swing a trade for James Harden and hopefully a P.J. Tucker in return, you make that trade, even if you have to be a little uncomfortable about your depth from 10, from 10 to 15 on the roster. You're really building for that top eight, top nine in the playoffs. And if you have Durant, Harden, and Irving as your top three, with Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan, um, you, you still could have Landry Shamit, Bruce Brown most likely, Jeff Green, and then potentially even a P.J. Tucker in return. I mean, that, that's a good eight or nine in your rotation that I wouldn't be too worried about 10 through 15. I'm talking with uh, Billy Reinhardt of uh, Nets Daily. So I just want to confirm you're on board with the third star, you know, James Harden or, you know, any third star like Bradley Beal, who you mentioned, where you have to surrender both current depth and future picks. You know, to me, I see Harden as different from Beal or Victor Oladipo, you know, but given what we saw, Drew Holiday, you know, cost Milwaukee, you know, these difference makers are going to be prohibitively expensive. Who's, who are, you really think Beal is worth it? Like, I think Harden's worth it. Do you think Beal or anybody else is worth, you know, all the people, all the uh, pieces and picks? I think Beal's worth a very hefty package, but not the same as James Harden, obviously. I mean, Beal's a great player. He's one of those, I like to refer to them as standalone all-star types, where if you get him as the third star, he's, he's an all-star no matter what team he's on for the most part. Obviously, he didn't make it last year, but... Um, he's an all-star for the most part, no matter what team he's on. He wouldn't be one of those all-stars that only makes it because he's the third star on a great team. Like Bradley Beal is a true all-star. Um, James Harden's a superstar. He's an MVP candidate. So there's another level there. They both have two years left on their deals. Um, so similar in terms of that. Um, I, I, th- I think with the Wizards and Bradley Beal, you see something like Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Torian Prince for salary reasons, and then picks similar to a uh, to, um, – to a Drew Holiday trade where you got three first-round picks in return. 
I don't think you have the same right? I don't think I, I don't think with Beal you would have the swaps mm. personally. I, I think it would be three picks with Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, Torian Prince. At least that would be my offer. I think you could probably get away with keeping Spencer Dinwiddie because I don't see what he does really for Washington in their situation being an impending free agent. Um, and if you can keep Dinwiddie, that's a nice trade to make. Beal's probably a cleaner fit than James Harden. But I think the Nets have their eyes on a James Harden trade. Um, and that's the direction I'd go. I mean, if, if James Harden wants to be in Brooklyn and he has Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving signing off on that, I think that's an opportunity you can not pass up. If people have questions about the fit. They're only being one ball. I mean, but, but this is a Hall of Fame type player in the prime of his career. He's been arguably the most consistently great player of the last five years. And you could hate Harden all that you want. He's been a top three MVP candidate, I believe, in all of those five years. So he's durable, which is huge for this KD and Kyrie core because they're going to load manage. They're going to miss games with injury. We know that. Having a guy like James Harden, I would argue, is even more important than having depth in those cases because when, when KD and Kyrie sit out, James Harden is going to be able to run the show, and he's the biggest floor raiser in the NBA. He can lead a team to 45, 50 wins with very few other parts. So when KD and Kyrie sit out, this team will still be winning games at a higher clip, I believe, than if Karis Levert and Spencer Dinwiddie were, were leading the team when, when those guys are out. So, I mean, I would go for hard, and I would give up, I would say, three to four first-round picks and one to two swaps with Levert, Allen, Prince, and Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie, they might have to try and ship to a third team to find a more attractive piece for Houston. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I think that's a trade you'd have to make. Yeah, well, Dinwiddie and Allen, of course, are in the vast majority of your trade ideas because both will be looking for new contracts after the season. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure Dinwiddie's going to opt out, and Allen's a restricted free agent coming off his rookie deal. Do you envision any scenario where either of them gets extended in season? Because if not, you know, this is a Joe Harris situation in my mind where the Nets, you know, had to resign him or risk losing him for nothing because they kept him at the trade deadline last year when. The, you know, it was meaningless. So they, you know, Harris get, got his six, 16, 17, $18 million uh, a year contract because otherwise it would be roster mismanagement. Do you see a situation like that where the Nets have to extend Dinwiddie and Allen because they can't trade him or they can't find a trade partner? So, so yeah, so Allen is rookie extension eligible, as we saw, uh, rookie contract extension eligible, as we saw with Jason Tatum, De'Aaron Fox, a few other guys. They just got big extensions. Allen's wouldn't be at that same number, but the same thing as those guys, he would have to agree to a contract extension before the start of this season. So for Allen and the Nets, they would have to come to an agreement before the start of the season. Once the season begins, they cannot have any contract talks until the end of the season. So if the Nets sign him also before the season, that makes him untradeable for the next few months. So in that case, I think it would be very difficult for the Nets to inhibit their trade flexibility that way. Um, unless they just don't see James Harden being a possibility at all. Maybe they sign Allen, but I, I think that they're going to likely let Allen run out as a restricted free agent at the end of next season if he's not traded before then. And then at that point, they have his rights as a restricted free agent. They can match any contract. They won't risk really losing him for nothing unless that price is exorbitant. But I would argue you sign that guy, you could always trade him later. Um, in the case of Dinwiddie, it's more interesting because he's unrestricted. And Dinwiddie has made it clear he values himself as a 20-point scorer, an all-star caliber player, player, a guy that can run a playoff team. Um, I tweeted something out the other day about Fred Van Vliet's contract. It, I believe it was five years, $85 million, or four years, $85 million, kind of setting the baseline for Spencer Dinwiddie's next contract. And Spencer replied saying, 
Mel Brogdon set the precedent for Van Vliet. I'm in a different category. So, I mean, Dimwitty's his own agent right now, and he believes he's above that number of Van Vliet and Brogdon, who I'd argue are similar caliber players, ideally a secondary creator on a good team, um, and just below all-star tier. Uh, but Dimwitty thinks he's even higher than that, at least it seems like from his comments. So the Nets got to be prepared to play 20-plus plus million to Spencer Dimwitty next summer or risk losing him. And honestly, he could leave even if they give him a comparable number because maybe he just wants to run his own team So and doesn't want to be in trade rumors constantly. So um, the Spencer Dinwiddie situation is something I don't think they can let run out at the end of the season. I think he's someone that you're going to see on the move over the next few months. Yeah, I, I personally think Dinwiddie is going to be gone at some point. I just don't know where the fit is, whether you know the rumor of him going out west, uh, whether it's San, San Antonio or some other place, uh, but he, to me, you talked about how you wanted the Nets to keep Dinwiddie. I'd rather they keep Levert, personally. Do you have a preference? I think Levert being under contract and being under contract at like $16, 17000000 million as opposed to Dinwiddie's 20-plus that he's going to get um, and being a year younger, I guess, is more attractive. In terms of players, I think they're about the same. Nets fans kind of argue back and forth, and me putting Dinwiddie in trade offers all the time it has nothing to do with not liking him as a player, I think he's a very good player, or thinking he's so much worse than Karis LeVert. It's actually the fact that has to do with his contract and the Nets just having so many guards and having to reallocate pieces from the backcourt to maybe a frontcourt piece or in just for a third star. But LeVert and Dinwiddie are very similar caliber players. They're both that next tier just below all-star. They're both ideally secondary creators for a championship team. And in terms of a secondary creator, you could argue Dinwiddie is actually more um, complimentary to a primary creator in terms of Dinwiddie shot 37, 38% on catch and shoot threes last year. Lavert's number was in the low 30s. So Dinwiddie's better catch and shoot off the ball. Dinwiddie, um, I think, is a better defender than Lavert, although I don't think either one has lived up to their potential on that end. Um, so Dinwiddie's probably more complimentary. But at the same time, Lavert, I think, has a little bit of a higher ceiling. He's under contract at a lower number and uh, it just seems like the Nets are going to lean towards keeping Levert over Dinwiddie for those reasons. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Levert guy. I, I think Dinwiddie has one elite skill, straight line drive. Uh, his efficiencies are, are always below average. Uh, he, he, he's had some excellent clutch moments, you know, the Laker game, of course, being the most recent one last season, but his clutch numbers in general have been hor- horrendous. But all right, well, I'm going to move you, on. You could argue, I jump in there. You could argue, though, that Spencer's been placed with a, a burden of leading a roster for a couple of years in a row now because of injuries that, I mean, he's not really supposed to be the best player on a team. And maybe he phases into a role as a more off the ball player, complimentary player, better. And I think he could profile in that way better than Levert. But I would still keep Levert over Dinwiddie because of the contractual reasons. All right. I got one more trade question for you uh, then we'll move on to some other topics but you know I'm going to be talking about my obsession with Blake Griffin in a few minutes and I don't know if you saw people getting on me for my take on it so oh, believe me believe me I put a lot of ideas out there people get on me don't let it shy you away. yeah I know I just want to know whether you think it'd be a good fit here and what would you give up to get him yeah I mentioned Blake Griffin a few times over the offseason period I think that he's a good player I'm not sure what his medicals are I saw your tweet it was you basically gave the caveat if the medicals check out, which makes sense. I mean, if the medicals checked out, he's someone you could think about. But to me, he's a last resort. Right now, the way I look at the Nets, I think you're going into this year, and we know James Harden wants out of Houston. He's requested Brooklyn. I don't think you, you lose your flexibility because in trading for Blake Griffin, you have to give up 
Dinwiddie, Allen, and Prince just to make the salaries work. Like, forget about if that's fair. You'd have to go up those three guys just to make the salaries work. So I'm not giving up all those guys. And then you literally would not be able to trade for James Harden or any other star or any really other players without moving Karis LeVert. Um, so I wouldn't inhibit my flexibility at this point for Blake Griffin yet. Maybe going into next season, Nets have to win a title before KD and Kyrie potentially leave. Maybe you make a desperation move like that, but I'm not ready to go there. I do like Blake Griffin as a player. If he can rebound health-wise and how he could potentially fit with the Nets, we know he worked out with KD in LA. Um, that's obviously connection there. He's been a great player in this league for a long time. Uh, I, I just would stay away from a Blake Griffin type move or a Kevin Love type move. Any of these guys that will require moving a ton of assets for um, until we have a decision on a James Harden or even a Bradley Beal, because I think those are really the cream of the crop that puts the nets over the top. Whereas Griffin and Love, I'm not sure that makes them the odds on favorites in the NBA to win the title. I think it improves their chances, but I don't think it makes them the odds on favorites necessarily. All right, that's that's fair enough. I just got a few more for you, Bill, if you don't mind. Uh, other topics. So, what was your reaction when the Nets hired Steve Nash and coaching this team without any sideline experience? Yeah, I think I was surprised, like like a lot of people. Um, but when you look into it deeper, it made so much sense. I never thought of him as a candidate just because I just didn't think he wanted to be in coaching. I mean, he's been out of the league now for a handful of years, and we never really heard any rumors true rumors about him coming out of coaching or expressing any desire to coach in the near future. So that's what caught me by the surprise. I think as Steve Nash said, um, he wouldn't have come out to start his coaching career unless it was a great situation like the Nets, being in a nice city that he likes, being with a contending team with KD, Kyrie, having those connections, Sean Marks and him being good friends going back to their Phoenix days. So I think it was the perfect situation for Marks and it made all the sense in the world in retrospect. But I'd be lying to you if I told you I was expecting it at the time. And what about what, you know, what are your concerns? I mean, aren't you concerned that look at the coaches in the division, Doc Rivers, Stevens, Thibodeau, uh, Nurse, and then you got Steve Nash, who has never coached, has never been in that kind of situation. And I don't, you know, people talk about, uh, you know, how he was such a great player. That has never factored into, you know, coaching success. You know, you've had good players who have been, decent coaches and you've had great players who've been awful coaches like magic Johnson, you know, it, uh, you know, otherwise why have Jason Kidd wasn't great. No, yeah. we just went through with Jason Kidd a few years ago. Yeah. I, I otherwise Eric Spolstra, you know, Popovich nurse, mm -hmm. they, these guys never played in the league. Are they bad coaches because of that? Do they have a, are they at a disadvantage? Yeah. Being a former player, or even being a great former player is not necessarily going to equal being a great coach. We know that at this point. So I think when you, you look at Steve Nash and you look at coaches in general, what are the key characteristics that make a great coach? You want adaptability, right? You want someone that's not going to um, keep the same guys out there the whole game if they're getting exposed, not going to switch up your defensive principles if you're getting beat on drop coverage. You want someone that's adaptable, right? You want someone that's versatile, which kind of goes in hand in hand with adaptability. You want someone that's humble enough to change from his principles, which kind of goes into adaptability too. So I think if you think about all those things, Steve Nash, from all accounts, is a very humble guy. He said this process is collaborative. He's brought on different assistant coaches like Jock Vaughn, who I think was huge for the Nets to retain for some continuity, as long as a few other assistants that they kept on. Um, he's brought on Mike D'Antoni, which I think was huge. Ime Odoka. So those are some good assistants he has right there. D'Antoni can help him with the offense. Odoka can do some defense. Vaughn can kind of be the bridge from the old regime to the new regime. 
um, and just kind of oversee everything as well with Nash. Um, so I really like the way the, the coaching staff fits together. There's going to be a learning curve. That always happens. But I think Nash has the characteristics, the humility, the open-mindedness, um, and then just the basketball IQ for the game to be able to adapt well in this role. But it's not going to happen overnight. There are going to be bumps in the road. There are going to be people calling for Nash's firing on the first three-game losing streak. Um, but, but I think if you stick with this guy, um, he's going to prove to be a, a worthwhile coach for the Nets and someone that's here for a long time. Yeah, you're a bit bullish than more bullish than me, but given that, my final question to you, Billy, is what are your reasonable expectations for this team? You know, I have a bet with a friend that the Nets are going to reach a conference final in the next two KD, Kyrie era years. So would that be underachieving in your eyes? You think that's reasonable? Uh, I, I would say – I. I would... The caveat that I don't think this roster's finished yet. I think you're going to see a, a move or two at least um, that moves the needle a little bit. Um, so I, I think something's coming in that regard. But as the roster, as it stands right now, I've been tweeting a little bit about it. I think that the Nets have a really good team, potentially great. But is this team the best team in basketball? I don't think you could say that with any confidence whatsoever. You could even make the argument that the Nets are the most talented team in basketball. And, and you, have a, you have an argument there. But even if they are, the gap isn't large enough to make up for the fit questions that they have and the lack of having a, a true wing defender. So I think those things will hold them back a little bit. I think right now that they're trailing the Clippers, the Lakers, and the Bucks. I would say. Those are the only three teams that are better teams than them. What about I the Sixers? That they could, I don't think the Sixers are better. The Sixers lost Josh Richardson and Al Horford, which, okay, for better fits in, in Seth Curry, Danny Green. I like what they did there. They added Tyrese Maxey, a few other pieces. They're going to be improved. Doc Rivers will help them. Um, that's going to be a tough matchup if the Nets play them because of their sheer size. But at the end of the day, when you're at the end of a game in a playoff scenario, who is taking that last shot? You usually don't go throw it, throw it into a center, you know? So Joel Embiid, as great as he is, and I'm higher on him than most, he's not really getting you that last shot typically. Ben Simmons is not a half-court shot creator for himself at least. So, I mean, who are you going with in that scenario? Is it Tobias Harris? He's going to hit the game-winning shot. It's not going to be Seth Curry or, or um, Danny Green creating their own. Maybe they'll hit a catch-and-shoot shot for a big shot. But I don't believe they found that half-court scorer when the game's on the line to make it through three, four rounds to win a championship or at least get out of the East. So I think the Sixers are more like a second-round playoff team at this point, but I do like the direction Daryl Morey's taking them. Like I said, I think I'll take the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Bucks over the Nets right now given the moves that each of them have made and the Nets have really haven't done too much as of yet. However, I say that the Nets could beat the Bucks in a playoff series because at the end of the day, similar to the Sixers, you need a guy in the half court that can create shots and close games out because these are going to be close games when you get into the Eastern Conference Finals. And when there's six minutes left, Nets can be down by five. I still feel more comfortable um, betting on them than the Bucks in that situation because I think KD and Kyrie are going to be shot creators, shot makers, in that situation, whereas you're relying on Chris Middleton, um, Drew Holiday, who are good players, but they're not the best half-court creators, and then Giannis, which we know he struggles in that point. So I'd say the Nets right now, their ceiling with their current roster is making the finals. Um, I'd say hey, they can lose in the second round. I think they're going to get at least to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they need another move or two to jump to Lakers or Clippers to be NBA champions. Well, that works for me. Billy Reinhardt of NetsDaily.com. Thanks for giving me some time today. Talk Nets, but uh, the offseason. Uh, you and all the good folks at Nets Daily do yeoman's work. I always say that if there's a, any Nets-related news anywhere in the world, Nets Daily has it covered. I wish I could say I'll see you soon at Barclays Center, but, you know, 
So thank you. One day, one day soon, Steve, hold that hope. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a more of a high risk category. You, you might be there before me, but thank Maybe. you so much anyway, and best of luck to you. Well, thanks Steve for having me. So thank you again, to Billy Reinhardt of netsdaily.com certainly delivered as I hoped with his takes on all the things the nets could do with their current roster situation. Even, uh, made me realize I messed up earlier when I talked about, uh, the replacements. I left off Garrett Temple. Oh, well, but, uh, I hope to have him and others from Nets Daily on with me throughout the year because they have so many talented writers on that site, including, of course, my personal friend, the Pooch, Anthony Puccio. Anyway, I guess, uh, before I go, I'll get a little bit more into, you know, the whole Blake Griffin obsession that I teased in the interview. Uh, I appreciate all the blowback I've gotten on Twitter and yes, I have to admit I can... I plead guilty to giving away too much of the store, but here's what I can't believe so many of you are missing. You know, you keep talking about adding a third star. You know, Harden is a third star. Beal is a third star. Well, folks, Blake Griffin is a star by definition. He's made the all-star team in six of the last ten seasons. Two seasons ago, he was third-team All-NBA. Now, yeah, I agree. He has a lengthy injury history. That's very concerning. Included two knee surgeries that limited his effectiveness last season. And there are questions as to how much he has left in the tank. Especially when, as many of you felt you needed to remind me, he has one of the worst contracts in the league. Nearly $75 million due in the next two seasons. You know, that's assuming he opts into the 21-22 season. You know, that's why my tweets always read... The Nets should check in on Griffin because medical reports are crucial. By now, we should all be trusting the Nets doctors when it comes to injury recovery analyses. You know, they signed off on drafting Levert and they signed KD to a max deal. I don't necessarily trust the Pistons when they're claiming Griffin is 100%. But if the Nets doctors clear him, that's good enough for me. Now, the issue then would become, what do you have to give to get? And again, I, I plead guilty. is coming on too strong. However, you know, as Billy mentioned, you know, you have to get the money to work because the Nets are over the cap. So to get within 125% of the incoming Griffin salary of about $35.6 million, you have to send out contracts valued at least $29.3 million to the Pistons. You can get there by sending Dinwiddie, Allen, Prince, and Karutz. Is that enough? I don't know, especially when you've got to consider that the Pistons already went out and acquired, what, like a half dozen centers this offseason? If not, you know, I'd rather the Nets add from their draft pick inventory rather than substituting Levert or Nick Claxton and then maybe find a third team for Allen. Because, you know, if they can get that done, look what Brooklyn would have. Starting five of Irving, Levert, KD Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan with Harris, Shamit, Brown and Green staggering in as subs in a nine-man rotation. And you also have Claxton and TLC under contract as contingencies, and you can pick and choose between signing young players like Gioza and Perry or going with the veterans like Crawford and Beasley for the back end of the bench. Or maybe find someone on the street to get that mid-level exception. You know, want a suggestion? How about Nicholas Batum? Uh, you know, as of this recording, he's still out there after getting waved and stretched by Charlotte, I know he's getting up there. He'll be 32 next month. 
And yeah, he struggled last season. But as a 10th or 11th guy, I think he still has value as a defender, you know, with length, knows how to play the game. I don't know. To me, that would be a legitimate championship contender if they could stay healthy. And other than, you know, trading for a Harden slash PJ Tucker combination, tell me who else could the Nets trade for to give them that kind of balance? You know, being able to play big with DJ in the middle or go small by using KD or Green. There's passing and shooting, and they certainly wouldn't get bullied under the boards, you know, if they could get some stops. So feel free to keep letting me know what you think and where you think I've gone wrong or nuts. Next week, I'll be back with a listener mailbag segment so we can talk about whatever else is on your mind. But for now, that'll wrap up this episode of the City Game Podcast. I'd like to thank Billy Reinhardt of NetsDaily.com again for being a terrific special guest. Hope you all enjoyed it. And to all you listeners out there, I wish you all a safe and happy Thanksgiving holiday. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.